We live in a fantasy world now. Reality has been destroyed. This is the time that we really need to pay attention. The probabilities are overwhelmingly on gold's side. That is the best environment to see gold increase its value. Welcome to Palisades Gold Radio. I'm your host, Tom Bodrovics. Joining me today is Peter Grandich, head of Peter Grandich and Company. Thanks for joining me today, Peter. How are you? Good to be back with you, Tom. Thank you very much. Excellent to have you back. And of course, you know, you and I have spoken quite a bit over the years here, and you always seem to have a, a great pulse on, let's say, where the market is heading. So I want to kind of start off a little bit differently and get your thoughts on if you've kind of seen a shift in the fundamentals or the sentiment toward gold over the past year here. Well, I, you know, just before you and I started recording, we talked about after last year, I mean, November 1st, we were in the low 1600s. And if I would have said to anybody that bought then, hey, February, early February, we're at 1850 or whatever it might be, you'd be thrilled. But the fact that, you know, we were higher and then last week suffered what was really a, a very overbought and, and technically uh, sold into market, mm-hmm. people would be thrilled with that. Excuse me. The, the key to me, Tom, and I've said this now, this is my 39th year being around the financial markets. And I can remember when we were thrilled when gold got the 350. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so I think this is the best gold bull market I've ever seen. And the main reason is this one of the biggest detrimentals back in the 80s and 90s was central bank selling. Not only do they not sell now, but they're purchasing in record levels. And Tom, people have to appreciate this. They're not buying it for speculation. They're not looking to trade it. They're buying it for a particular reason or reasons that they see that's going to relate to economies and monetary whatever. Now, whether it's a a coming gold back currency, a move away from the dollar, whatever it is, that is happening for a reason. And when they're like that, you, it's like, don't bet against the Fed. Don't bet against the central banks when it comes to gold. Mm-hmm. The other reason, Tom, that that I take great feeling that we're in a, a, me- a new mega bull market is unlike late last week, because as soon as they're selling like that, there's always people, oh, it's the gang, it's the coke cartel and all. Anytime the market goes down, I really think there was technically overbought. There were a lot of stops that were put in. People had great profits and they went through them and they attacked it right. And we may still go a little low before it rebounds again. But the trading in the paper market, now that a lot of it has moved to the Far East and away from London and the Crimex, call it the Comex, I've always called it the Crimex, that also has been very beneficial. Doesn't mean it's gone. Not saying there's no more manipulation, whatever. But clearly, because of convictions for spoofing and other reasons, that's not a detrimental. You take those two used to be negative equations out of out of the equation, so to speak. Gold has bullish implications. And that's why I'm confident, for myself at least, that we're going to make a new not just nominal high, but adjusted for inflation, which will be 23, 2400. So, Peter, when we've seen, as you as you mentioned, basically the last two quarters have seen record gold buying by seemingly the eastern central banks, right? Do you think that has that has affected the the price behavior of the gold market as well? 
Well, there's always two markets. And what happens with retail investors, if I speak for that for a moment time, which is probably a lot of people that watch your program and all, they also own mining shares because they believe in gold. Okay, they don't just own the gold. And the mining shares haven't performed anywhere related to how gold moved. In fact, there's some statistics that would say they're part at as cheap as possible compared to where the gold price currently is. So they always have that disappointment from people about gold because their mining shares aren't doing well. I'm, I, I can attest for that. The bottom line is that we're never going to see the America. I can only speak for the U.S. I can't speak for Canada, but the U.S. financial service industry, since the day I entered, and it'll be the day after they put me in the ground, Tom, they treat gold like kryptonite. Mm -hmm. They're never going to get behind it until that time when it's on everybody's mind and it's it's that flying period and everybody's talking about it, which you're going to have to have the gumption then to start thinking to go for the exit. So the the very fact that, as you said before we came on, that it was able to hold its own last year in the face of really a lot of reasons go down, dollar going through the roof, interest rates going up, people losing in general, uh, just tells me that there's there's significant reasons for this bull market, unlike others. And the two used to be most negative things that would impact it are out of the equation now. So, you know, when we think about the financial service industry treating gold like kryptonite, as you said, do you think that the, let's say, the incentive structure of how that industry is set up to make a lot more money, let's say, in stocks and bonds versus the shiny pet rock, as as Warren Buffett has called it, is that part of the reason why you think people don't understand the importance of gold or most Absolutely. people? Absolutely, Tom. First of all, uh, there is none, none that I know of. And, 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 and the game has changed. Maybe this is important to talk about. The financial service industry has changed tremendously in the U.S. than 10 or 20 years ago. It has really become nothing more than an asset gatherer. Individual folks that used to sit at major brokerage firms, we're not the name of 20 years ago, that individual broker or vice or whatever you want to call them, he or she did what they thought was best for their clients on one-on-one. Most of those people now gather assets from the client and turn it over to a management group. So it's not all those people, individuals handling anymore. Secondly, over half the money in the U.S. market now is in passive investments. They're in ETFs, things which are trying to track an index. So there's not a manager actively managing it or saying, let me buy this one, sell that one. So when the market was going up, that just fed on itself, you know. It's, but when it went down, we started to see last year some liquidation, but we didn't see the retail liquidation as much because there's two reasons, Tom. Both the individual investor and a, most of the financial service industry has either been in one or none downturn ever. I mean, I think it's like two thirds of financial advisors only in the business. Uh, 15 years or less. So maybe they saw one downturn. Mm -hmm. I used to talk that the coming decline last year, the year before was going to happen because everybody that was giving advice mostly learned how to drive on a one-way street. Well, if all you know is to put the foot to the gas pedal and you got a Fed that's feeding Kool-Aid into the gas tank like there's no tomorrow, everybody got used to it going up. So the challenge now will be is 
if we're in a two-way market and if for some reason, and I'm not in the crash market mode. I know there's a lot of people looking for a crash. I don't think there's a crash coming, but if we don't get an up year this year, it was one year you can get away with retail people, hold on, it always comes back, yada, yada, yada. But if investors, many who wish user for retirement and use the 4% rule, they hope to have gains in the stock market, take out what they need to live and have the stock market make that up. They're going to be looking at some serious problems. And that's something if we can talk later about the coming retirement crisis. Mm -hmm. So all of that happening, they don't have time for gold. They don't. And, and quite frankly, they really can't make money in it. Trust me, if you can somehow make advisors make one or two percent money management like they do gathering assets and gold, they'll they'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. But it really flies in the face of, of, of paper assets. And, and that was always the reason it will continue to be, in my view. So, you know, as as we think about this, let's say, changing market environment where, you know, it used to be about just investing in the broad stock market and that drove everything up. Do you think that that, that paradigm is really over and people need to become more active managers of how they're investing their money and it's going to be more about individual stocks versus the broad stock market here? It's interesting you say that, Tom. My opinion is it's becoming a stock market. And you're going to have to pick stocks because there's going to be certain industries that'll do well, even if the market doesn't perform well. But there's no longer that tremendous tailwind that a government printing trillions of dollars, a Federal Reserve driving interest rates down to zero, buying back, uh, you know, half the bond market. All of that push the market forward. Those wins should not return anytime soon. It, it would be. I think it's a misnomer to think that the Fed is going to take its foot off the brake pedal and slam it right down back onto the gas pedal. I don't think they're going to be in a position to do it. Let's not forget that they really blew this. They were all, most of them convinced it was just transitory inflation, you know, and, and they got behind the eight ball. And inflation, once the genie's out of the bottle, it's hard to put it back in town. So mm -hmm. this 2% number is not going to be the number. They're not going to get it back. I mean, unless there's a worldwide depression for world war or something of that nature. But so I think people have to be much more involved that they can't expect all boats to be lifted. Even in the metals market, even if you're in the mining shares, as good as gold and copper is going to do, you're going to have to be selective because certain areas of the world now, you don't want to go looking for metals there. And if you're there, you might want to get out. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to be more on it or at least be using a group that's more hands-on. And that's not what's happened in financial services. Your advisor sitting at, we won't name the name, sitting there, has put that in a managed fund somewhere. As you know, he gets part of the management fee, et cetera. They're asset gatherers. They're on the phone today looking for new assets. They're not spending a lot of time looking at your assets. So I think that's an important thing for individuals to know. So, Peter... You know, when we think about the amount of debt and printing that let's just focus on the U.S., obviously, that the Fed has done over the last last decade, last 15 years, do you think that sets us up for basically an inflationary decade? And considering the amount of deficit spending that we have every year, does that just basically doom the U.S. dollar and, you know, let's say broader the Western currencies at this point and set us up for basically 
an inflationary period until it comes, you know, to some type of an end? Inflation for politician is easier to deal with than deflation. It's just just that way. Uh, you know, we're approaching almost 33 trillion in debt. Our interest expense, you know, if interest rates just go back and start averaging four or five percent, Tom. Tom, I, I come from an era when when we were looking for our first home and the, the realtor said, I think I can get you a 15 percent mortgage. OK, so four or five is not really high. It is to the people that only been around the last 10 years when we went to zero. But at four or five percent and we have to start refinancing that debt, our interest payments alone become a significant issue, let alone the principal's not going to be paid back. But what happened now, Tom, something I didn't think I'd see in my lifetime, and it's come faster than I would have said a few years ago if we were talking. It used to be said if a politician talked about adjusting entitlements of Social Security, he might as well or she might as well put a foot on the third rail because you were committing political suicide. Mm -hmm. No one wanted to talk about it. Well, that genie's out of the bottle. Both sides are talking about it because they have to. It is going to run out if they if they don't do things. So that's the first kick of the can of changing. The next will be Medicare and Medicaid, because some people estimate between Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid, there's another 70 trillion of entitlements that people are expecting. So how the heck do they come up with that? Okay, you know, what do you do with that? So with that, not only is there going to be and is a debt crisis, and they're going to kick the can another time. They'll 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 come before June. They'll make a deal and that, but kicking that can is coming harder and harder. And now add a retirement crisis because seventy five percent of the American public right now is working paycheck to paycheck, Tom, and they're critically undersaved for retirement. So not only are people going to have to work longer and may not even be able to retire. Those who have are the biggest fear that they have, even in death. I mean, when you see polls where people are more concerned about running out of money being alive than dying, this has not been talked about. It's not prepared for. And it's not that far off. It's not. I mean, it's not going to be tomorrow, Tom. It's not going to affect how the Dow trades tomorrow, next month or even next year. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to be around investing for the next several years, you better start thinking about that because that's going to become a major issue. Mm -hmm. I've heard you talk about kind of there being three real problems with the amount of debt. So obviously, we just kind of talked about the entitlements, a little bit about the the retirement crisis, the amount of, you know, let's say distinct debt on the balance sheet of, of $31 trillion. But how do you see the, let's say, the third piece of, of derivatives really affecting the market as well? It's a nightmare scenario. It's uh, if and when it'd be like you ever watch those dominoes, somebody sets up a bunch of dominoes and they just have to hit the first one and they all go. That's what's going to happen if, if the derivative, if there's such a economic crisis that people have really trouble paying things. You know, people have sold something nine times over, 15 times over, you know, 14 people are living off one piece of paper. So that's. Really, and, and no one in the mainstream media talks about that. That's really the, the big gorilla in the room, uh, as big, if not bigger than the debt retirement crisis, because it can happen like that. Mm -hmm. And everybody's impacted then, even the very wealthy. Peter, I want to get your thoughts a little bit more on why you said that the Fed doesn't have the ability to come back and really step on the gas. 
is that because the effectiveness of the dollars that they end up printing or or bringing borrowing into the system aren't going to have the same effect or do they just not have the ability to really just go back on what they've been so focused on fighting and you know quote unquote fighting inflation the way they have both tom but it's both of those things first of all uh if they didn't learn a hard lesson they better had on how they blew the inflation angle. And again, I'm here to tell you that inflation's a lot harder to get back in the bottle than most people are making like it is now. Mm-hmm. There's a great assumption by a lot of bullish people that in a very short period of time, we're gonna have disinflation or deflation. And uh, I'm not in that camp. It, there's, there was too many dollars created. They have to go somewheres. And the Federal Reserve, I mean, Give me another example. Let's look at another Western world power, Japan. I mean, they buy 100% of the bonds that are out there. Within something like 20 years, they're only going to have one person working for every person retired. I mean, the the tax consequences on the next generation, it's not my generation, the boomers, but the generation behind us and behind that mm-hmm. are going to be much more taxed than any time before, because really that's all the government can do. It can cut spending, which it doesn't like to do, or it can raise taxes, which it likes to do. And that's the other thing that people aren't prepared for. And the holy grail, this is a prediction of mine. I haven't heard anybody, there may have been somebody talk about this, but I haven't heard it. I've been involved in insurance, you know. Insurance, the holy grail is it's tax-free. You know, it passes to generations. When things get really bad here, and I don't know what year that'll be, Tom, it's not this year, but it's going to be a year. Mm-hmm. Someone in government's going to say, we can't let these trillions of dollars in insurance pass the generation to generation free anymore. We need that money. Mm-hmm. And the insurance industry is fighting. It's already been talked about in little ways. The government is only, like I said, has two choices, cut spending, which no politician likes to do, or raise taxes. So also, the thing that needs to be considered for people when they're considering about their investments is tax advantage to take the best advantage of you can. I'm not saying evasion, but tax advantage. And of course, the wealthier you are, the more opportunity you have. If you're just working and got a paycheck, there's really no magic bullet for you. You have to pay the piper. Mm-hmm. So, Peter, you, you know, we're talking about this retirement crisis and aging populations. How do you see? these demographics really affecting countries going forward you know we we talked about japan a little bit and we know that their their entire population is getting very very aged towards the the top end and that's not really being replaced by younger productive people so where do you see those aging demographics really affecting economies you can see my hands. I'm going to the government. Help me. That's that's going to be the natural. Listen, there are a lot of people here, good people working paycheck to paycheck, Tom. Mm-hmm. And there's more people getting in the wagon and leaving less of us to pull the wagon. We have a, a tremendous immigration problem. Listen, I understand, you know, if I was those people in the country that they were at and they can come here and get some of the things that they can get. I guess I would do that too. So I don't hold that against people. But a lot of the people that are coming in 
aren't going to suddenly become workers and pay normal taxes and all. They're going to fall into local, state, and federal you know, support systems. And so the burden is going to be turned to the government and say, well, what do I do? Give me an example, if you don't mind me taking the time, Tom. This is really important for people to understand. Here in New Jersey, we have a few of the towns, some of the wealthiest towns in the nation. And they employ people to cut their grass, uh, housekeeping, et cetera. But those people can't live in those towns. And they have to come from areas and, and travel some to get there. And the housing for those folks is very shortage. There's a tremendous shortage for both them and senior housing with people that can't afford. So again, the government's going to be asked, people are going to do going to be do something. They're not going to just stay idle. So I see a tremendous strain on governments besides everything else we spoke about because of this aging. And there's one other issue. And again, no one likes to hear this time. I have to tell you, my business goes like this when I speak about this stuff. But I have to speak the truth. I mean, mm-hmm. I just have to. The other crisis, Tom, is going to be this. I'm an 80-year-old man. I'm not now. I need a heart transplant. I need a lung, whatever, which is being done fairly regularly now. I'm a 28-year-old kid working, and they're just taxing me to debt, raising out how much they're taking for Medicare and all. And I'm going to go, whoa, the guy lived a long life. I don't want to pay a half a million or a million dollars so he can get a new lung or whatever it is, and you're taxing me. There's going to be a battle of the ages as well, not only the, the class war, but there's going to be an age war. It's natural to occur. We hear it now. We see that in some instances. That's why in certain countries and even some states in the United States, legalized, you can, if you want to take your own life, you can take it. And the government quietly is not going to root for that. But trust me, the less people they have to govern for, they know the better it is for them. So there are a lot of things that aren't Typical financial advisors are not taken into equation for people that are investing for the next five or 10 or 20 years. And uh, those are things I think that are going to come on the radar sooner than later. Mm -hmm. Peter, I'd like to go back to thinking about these, let's say, Eastern central banks stacking and, and buying so much gold. How do you think that starts to affect currencies going forward? You know, they're moving towards being able to trade outside the US dollar. So is that their motivation as you see it to be hoarding gold as well as to back these currencies and give each other a lot more confidence in being able to trade around the US dollar? Um, there was already a drop of failed significance over several years of how many people that were using the dollar to trade. Mm-hmm. It's come off. But I think how United States is viewed, some of the actions it took Afghanistan being one of them, what we've done in this war, I think it's caused certain countries to go, whoa, you know, I I just don't think the United States has the allies or the likeness that it once had. And so there's no question they're doing it for at least to get away from the dollar, if not to eventually know that something else has to be introduced. And the most likely thing is it's going to have some sort of backing and need goal would have to be part of that. Look, the BRIC nations, which is still not huge, I think it's like 22% of world GDP, but more are thinking about going in, including Saudi Arabia. They've already openly talked about a new currency and trading away from the dollar. And clearly, China and Russia is no friend to the United States. They're enemies. So 
I think central banks are preparing for that and the inevitable that they know how many dollars are out there. And we get away with murder because it's the world reserve currency. The day we're not, it just adds to the, the, the growing issue that we have. And, and that's why I think the central banks are, are, are buying the gold. Like I said, they're not buying it to speculate or, you know, or, or trade it. They're buying it for a monetary slash economic reason or reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Peter, it seems like we've part of the reason, let's say we've been in a deflationary environment was obviously low rates and easy money policy. I think you could add globalization to that. Now, when we saw COVID come along and these supply chain crises really, or or COVID act as a barrier to getting all of these supplies from other nations, do you see that as a trend continuing, this, this deglobalization? And what does that do to the cost of our goods abroad here? Yeah, uh, 15 years ago, you turn on a financial program, there was some talking head talking about globalization, why you had to own these companies, just in time inventory. You know, years ago, Tom, people can't believe if they're only 30 years old, there was all sorts of distributors in every industry, electrical, whatever. And what was that? That was where you had excess supply. So there was demand. Well, they were all cut out of the game. The problem, as we learned, not only COVID, there's other things that impact it when countries have problems. I'll give you an example because it falls into the area about you and I, the world we're in. Rare minerals. Everybody's talking about all these certain technologies with names I can't even pronounce these minerals. They're very rare. And basically, China has a control of them. And here in the United States, just a week or two ago, up in Minnesota, there was some sort of rare minerals that could be found, but it was near a forest. And Biden passed and signed the bill just to completely stop it. Well, what's going to happen? Uh, it's the same thing with everybody's going green. It, it, every Most states are, or the state cars are coming green. Companies are advertising on TV, dominoes, you're driving an electrical car and all that. That's all great. Two big problems, Tom. One, the electric grid. We already have brownouts and blackouts just in the normal part of the world. And I like the kid that part of our grid was installed by Thomas Edison. That's how old it is. Mm-hmm. But the other part of that is you need a bunch more metals for all these things. It's it's an amazing, and I forgot the exact number, Tom, how much more metals an electric car is needed versus a regular car. Well, if there's been underinvestment in two areas, it's been in oil, because energy has not been favorable to people, and it's been in metals. Mm-hmm. And listen, Tom, I say this all the time. 30, 40 years ago, you could spin the globe, put your finger on a country and go, yeah, we can go there mining. Not now. Not now. There, there's a whole bunch of reasons. So the supply of metals and, and certain things for everyday life that people are expecting is critical, let alone soap and eggs and all these other things that get impacted in God. And it's going to take a lot of years to so-called bring back and, and, and make things ourselves. And and, and uh, it won't be in my generation that that won't fully happen. And, you know, I'll, I'll be I'll be passed on. But it is an issue. And it had kept prices lower back then, which now it won't be able to. And so that adds to the inflation argument. Mm-hmm. So, Peter, 
because of these trends that you talked about, like the electrification of everything, is copper and the base metals or or energy metals something that you're you're very focused on because of these trends? Yeah, I am. Uh, my biggest holding is a, is a copper project here in the U.S. Uh, but I think it was about a month or so ago, Tom, in Panama, a mine that was always built. I don't know how much they spent on it. And Panama said, hey, no more 2% royalty, 20%. And if you don't like it, hit the road. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing some of that attitude in some of the major copper producers in South America. They're having a lot of political issues and then they're having worker issues. And the, the good, easy deposits have basically been found. So if I'm one of those mining companies, I'm thinking twice about going there now. And it's going to fall to a smaller area. And that's North America. I mean, there are states like California. It's very much more difficult to mine than it is, say, Nevada. But there's enough areas in North America, Canada, and the U.S., which I think are going to get more attention. But there's great shortages. There's not a lot of supply of these of these things. Uh, and especially copper. And that, that's one of the reasons, you know, I think beneficially, whether or not an economy is strong or not, copper prices are going to do okay. Mm-hmm. And and then on the other side of that, Peter, you know, when you mentioned that oil and gas has been underinvested in, is that another area that you look at because of the, the need for that energy? Well, it wasn't too long ago, if you remember, how everybody was screaming when gas was approaching $5. And what does this president do? He basically empties out our strategic reserve for a very short term. That strategic reserve was, we were sold on it and we, on it that, God forbid, there was ever a true shortage. Mm-hmm. We had something. He did it just to, thinking that somehow it was going to impact and, and save the gas price. Now, we hear that from Saudi Arabia and from OPEC and, and people outside OPEC that there is not excess capacity that used to exist. And if we have a world economy again where China you know, starts rolling fairly good and rebound, there's going to be a shortage. And you know they see the price back over 100 again. And uh, we still don't know how this war in, in Russia and Ukraine ends. It's important because Russia has been a significant supplier to Europe. And while they were able to sidestep it by by us with natural gas, we don't have an endless supply either. So there's a lot of things to be concerned about in the world of minerals and energy and all that isn't talked about. And I can tell you this much, Tom, if you pick any office and go and talk to a financial advisor now, they know nothing about this. They know absolutely nothing about this, but it's going to play a role in, in people's lives five, 10 and 20 years out. Absolutely. You know, we've, we saw that the importance of the ability of grids and, and countries to, to have a good supply of energy. And we've seen that play out in, in Europe this winter. And, you know, thankfully the winter wasn't as bad as, as it typically has been. And, and I think that that's been a, a, a great thing, but I think that brought the importance of cheap, reliable energy back to focus for, for a lot of, a lot of Europe. But on the, on the other side of that, Peter, we've seen a, a decent appreciation in the price of uranium since the last time you and I spoke. So do you expect 
public sentiment to keep changing positively towards uranium and for it to become a larger part of the energy complex around the world? Well, I'll speak here for the United States. If you talk to a politician 20 years ago in any state and say, hey, I'm thinking of building a nuclear plant. No, you're not. Not my state. We don't want nuclear. It's not safe, blah, 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 blah. That coin has flipped 180 degrees. Every politician wishes they had more nuclear plants when we're going to have these shortages again and people complain and so forth and so on. The uranium price, and there's a lot of argument of you know what's kept it down and conversion and all this stuff. Uh, I like to use, there's a huge bellwether. It's chemical. How chemical goes, so goes the uranium market. They continue to get more and more bullish. I've just been following the management. And they have one of the best management teams I've, I've, I've ever listened to there. They know their stuff. We, nuclear energy has to be a significant part if the world is going to have all the stuff that it says it wants to have, you know, electrified and so forth and so on. And if you think about it, what else can there be? People have some of the things they thought that would substitute. They realized they weren't great substitutes. But you, again, talked about something that's really important. And here in the United States, we have a horrible grid system. If you talk to experts about it, they'll tell you it's such a mess. And realistically, uh, with everybody or going to have electrical cars and so forth and so on, we're not seeing the grid overhauled. We're not seeing billions of dollars put into it to, to, to accommodate this increased need of electricity. And again, it's a kick the can down the moment, but eventually it's going to be paid for. So I, I, I think maybe uranium doesn't go as high as maybe we thought a year ago or as fast. But I think it has to work its way higher. I don't. I, I can't see it falling out of place. And again, here's the trouble: the typical financial advisor in the United States knows very little about the uranium market, nuclear, or the stocks that make them up, and they're just not going to be people that are buying up those stocks. So that's always the challenge. And if I can add just one quick thing on that subject: the ability for a junior resource company to attract investor interest has changed dramatically in 20 or 30 years, Tom. First of all, a lot of the junior resource companies are based out of Canada. They may be looking all around the world, but they trade on one of the Canadian exchanges. Mm -hmm. Years ago, you could find hundreds, if not thousands of stockbrokers, we would call back then in the US, that built a book of business on them. So if you got that broker interested, you got his or her 300 or 500 clients, that's all gone. There are no more individual folks down here, financial advisors building books of businesses over stocks because people can buy it for $9, you know, trade for, on their own. So the way a junior resource company raises interest, and remember, part of that plays a role in can they find metals because if they can't raise money for their stock, they can't go out looking for the metal, has changed. And it's more of a direct now through, you know, people that are online like this and all, but it's become more challenging for them. Plus it's become over-regulated. You know, most junior companies, all they have is sizzle. They have a lot of hope. They have a lot of positive reasons. They think they're going to find something, mm -hmm. but basically they can't say anything about it anymore. So it's been really challenging to raise money. And that's part of the reasons why there's a under investment and less metals available because we really cut off the legs of the people that would be the first to go out there and find it. 
And again, it's not something that's discussed a lot, but it's an important factor and plays a role now in in in, in the lack of metals uh, needed for the world that we're going to live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy to think that underinvestment and overregulation in the energy and the metal sector has has really resulted in an outlook now, let's say over the next decade, the next two decades of major supply shortfalls if we're going to be moving to these to these a- any of these trends if if we move towards any of the electrification or even if just things continue as as they are as as you were talking about the importance of the grid it was kind of funny you know last year we saw california come out and say by 2030 they're not going to be selling any more ice vehicles only electric. And within the same week, they also announced that you weren't allowed to run your air conditioner during the day or or they were going to have brownouts and blackouts because of the lack of energy. So, you know, how do you end up being able to charge any of those electric cars? And not that I personally have a problem with an electric car, but, you know, it seems that we have to get real about the idea that we're going to be able to charge and you know utilize these electric cars with a grid that is completely incapable of being able to supply all the power for that right well i joked with you before and i've always said that in the way i describe it i say well thomas edison installed something that's how it's very old Mm -hmm. and it's antiquated and it's not unified and uh the people that talk about it and it's and it's very vulnerable too that's the other issue, you know, that you know that people concern about. There's been some uh, cyber attacks that significantly caused issues, and there's argument that that's one of our biggest vulnerabilities that may be uh, taken advantage of. But again, again, they're going one way, like you said. The governor's out there standing, you know, talking about this, and meanwhile, people can't turn their air conditioner on or run water or whatever the case is, and and that's only going to get worse because. You can't build these things in a month or a year, Tom. It's, I mean, we're talking about tens of billions of dollars or more that certain areas to 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 accommodate it. You know, I always get crazy. I, you know, we have here in New Jersey, we still have a lot of our electricity above ground. So when there's a shortage, one of the poles fall and they put it up and they put it up like six times in six years. And one day I was walking by, I said, why don't you guys put it underground? And they told me the difference of the cost of running electricity under the ground versus putting up a pole. The electrical company is going to keep putting up the poles as much as they can. They don't have the money to go and build new grids themselves. It's going to be have to be government be involved in it. Mm-hmm. So, Peter, to, to kind of wrap up your thoughts here for today, what are some of the trends that you're looking to see play out over this over this coming year, you know, do you think the Fed will pivot and bring back uneasy monetary environment? Do you see inflation, you know, picking up again? What are some of the, you know, themes that you're looking to play out this coming year? Well, first of all, you can tell by what we spoke about. I don't have the greatest, brightest outlook. Okay. And it's not popular. My business is down 80% because I've taken this attitude in our financial planning group and all. But I really don't know the future, Tom. Some people seem to think they do. I can make an educated guess. 
I think some of the things we spoke about today, I think a lot of what we spoke about today was really serious stuff. And I wish everybody could hear it. It really was, Tommy. Mm -hmm. We talked about issues that are going to play a significant role, may not be discussed. And I don't think the average financial advisor has a brain to discuss it. And they're trained in a very short manner about sales and all, and not so much about the you know, how finances work and all. So uh, in terms of the Fed, uh, I think, uh, let's go back. This employment number, this is something we should really talk about. This was so out of place and why so many people missed it, because the government changed basically the whole way that they accounted for it. They dramatically increased it, their seasonal adjustments. They changed ways of views and population and so forth and so on. The employment is not as strong as people would argue. Now they're going to get a month or two because they'll be able to milk that. So I think between not strong economy, inflation's tough to put in the bottle, people working paycheck to paycheck time, where 70% of our GTP is driven by consumers. If people are working paycheck to paycheck, three quarters of the people, where do they have the discretionary income to buy all these luxury items that you know all these companies and all offer and sell? So I just think it's tougher and tougher. I have an attitude is less is more. Most people don't want to hear that, but I think I think things are going to be tough time. I'm not looking for a crash, but I don't see how the Fed can turn around and be like it once was and the stock market just go back to new highs. I think it's going to be in a long-term trading range for as long as what's ever left in my natural life anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to that point, I saw a story yesterday that U.S. credit card debt has hit an all-time high. So, you know, exactly as you're saying, how does that continue? They're paying, they're paying for their food, their clothing, the necessities with a credit card because they have no choice. What is our, our, The attitude of that consumer has to be, I'll worry about it later. I got to feed my family. And one other point, Tom, go anywhere in the U.S. where there's a food bank. And you'll find out that the food bank will tell you not only has there been a dramatic increase in the number of people, but people up the scale working even higher income are coming because that's how hard it is for, the, for them to get by. So there's there's a lot of things. I Optimism would bring in a lot more business, but I'd be lying then. So uh, unfortunately, I, I, this is what I hear from people, Tom. We'll close with this. Pete, I know you're right, but I'm praying you're wrong. <laughs> And, and and I guess I have a dollar every time I hear something like that. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, I think we are facing a, a pretty grim, you know, next couple of years. And I think it, it's better to be sober and, and prepared for what's happening and analyze it accurately rather than, you know, hope that that's not going to be what's going to happen. Peter, but there's there's one other question I was going to ask you. Do you think we're just starting to feel the effects of the rate hikes in the markets that, you know, we have seen this, obviously we've seen the most dramatic increase in rates ever. So do you think we're just starting to feel the effects of those rate hikes in the market? Well, we didn't get as hard as effects as you would expect it because the bond market has decided that it knows more than the Fed. Mm -hmm. and have really brought interest rates down, even though the Fed rate continued to go up. I mean, you know, we had the 10-year was well above 4%. It's now well below 4%. The bond market is betting on a very serious contraction in the economy. That, that There's no question about that. Uh, where that interest rate hurt is the credit cards, because God knows what they're at now. Uh, 
the housing market got hit by that because the mortgage uh, market. But I just don't see how the Fed politically, and, and let me add one more thing, keep saying this to you, Tom, we're never going to end this, but this is important. This Congress is going to be the most dysfunctional Congress in modern era. Not only do the Democrats and Republicans want nothing to do with each other, within each party, there's separate groups that don't want to do what that other part wants to do. Mm -hmm. So the ability to get anything done, this is going to be two years of trying to make up for what happened in the past, investigations, COVID, the Bidens, all of that. If you talk to small size business owners, they'll tell you it is so hard to be a business owner now. And there's not really any relief for them. Uh, we're not doing the fiscal things that Congress is called upon to do. And it's only going to get worse. And I, I just I, I just think, you know, we just can't we're not going to see these politicians get together and do what's necessary until it's absolutely no other choice. Yeah, un until their until their feet are held to the fire. But as you say, the really the incentive structure is set up in such a way that they're able to just keep kicking the can down the road. I'll just tell you this, Tom, if the Pelosi's ever start managing money, I'm giving them my money because <laughs> they did a lot better than I did. You should have been on that train maybe five years ago, Peter. Uh. <laughs> of course, for anybody that wants to hear more of your thoughts, you write a blog at petergrandich.com and you've gotten back on Twitter here at Peter Grandich, yes. right? Yes. Most people don't want to hear what I had to say, but the few that do, they can go to the blog and I'm back even making videos and all. But speaking to people like you that give someone a chance to speak like this and be heard, you know, I if I started this conversation on a major financial network, they would have cut the interview or they certainly wouldn't have you back. Mm -hmm. So it's important that people like you continue to have an ability to tell people uh, what we talked about today. At least they can make it in their mind. They can hear two sides of the coin, not just one. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, our ability to to keep doing that is being hampered as well. You know, I've had a couple really important discussions about energy, the ability of, you know, our society to even try to mine the metals, you know, copper, for one example, to mine the metals that we need to support just the electric car trend not even upgrade the grid anything like that these plans are unattainable at this point and as a result of that unfortunately our our views on on youtube for example have been dramatically cut we don't get the same impressions that we do so as much as i hate saying it and i never like to actually say that that's why liking subscribing and sharing videos like this are important because you know it helps share that with other people um our ability to reach new people has been drastically cut and unfortunately that has affected our channel but you know we have to continue to keep having discussions like this because it is important well i'm sorry to hear it but i'm in the same boat with you most people don't want to hear what I've talked about. You know, it's funny, Tommy, and this. So in 2020, 21, telling people get out, get out. Most people didn't listen. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, they had a downcline. You would think they go, where's that guy that was telling me was right? No, they stay with what they have. They become deer in headlights and all. Mm -hmm. It's very hard 
to speak the, the negative side or the risk side of things in an environment, in a financial world where it's most of the financial advisors, they're going to get mad at me saying this, but this is my God's honor belief. You can toss them off the Empire State Building and all the way down, they all say the same thing. Hey, so far, so good. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we're up against, Tom. But for you and I, hopefully there'll be enough people that we can still get our voices heard. A little little too much recency bias, right? Absolutely. All right, Peter. Thanks so much for your time today and sharing your sure thoughts with us. Thank you, Tom, for having me. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests on this show are not compensated for their appearance. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. Do not base any investment decisions on the information contained. To view our full disclaimer, please visit our website.